Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I don't know how it is that today I found stories that are about things that people tend to forget about. If you miss me talking about the border, I'll get back to that subject. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going down? My people, people. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. And find everything. TonyKatz.locals.com. The community we're building over there. It's free, or you can be a subscriber and support what it is that I'm doing. I'd greatly appreciate it if you would as we're growing, building, doing. It's just uh, the future looks pretty wonderful. This was a story over at News Nation about a House hearing examining the FDA response to the shortage of U.S. baby formula, which we should be clear is still happening. Just because news media isn't talking about it doesn't mean that it isn't happening. News media, and and part of it you have to accept the fact that we're at fault for, and part of it you have to accept that they are very happy to move focus when they believe it will best benefit their, their narrative. And certainly getting off the conversation of baby food shortages, if a baby food shortage had happened under former President Donald Trump, dear Lord, do you think you would have heard about anything else? Hello. Hey, sir, I was just talking about uh, what would happen if the baby food shortage had happened under your watch and how CNN would have had nothing but uh, mothers and crying babies on TV for weeks at a time. But that, of course, didn't happen. And this is, of course, the evil that we see when it comes uh, to the mainstream media. Only talking about the thing that they want to be important as opposed to the things that are. For all the hits that I take as a radio host, I stand very, very clear on the content. We talk about everything. Go look at the record. And even if I miss stories, I hit so many more things than the MSM does and talk radio does in general, which is why you're seeing talk radio really do so well. Even when radio radio's competing against Spotify, radio's com- competing against so many content uh, avenues, so it's harder. Uh, but you're seeing talk radio still be the, the, the creme de la creme because what people are tuning in for, it's just like you are, for this conversation that we're having. It's for being able to engage and being able to ensure that they're they're hearing about things, that we're all talking about things that other people are purposefully avoiding. That's happening all the time. If Trump had been president when there was a baby formula shortage, the world would have come to a stop. It's all you would have heard. Biden is uh, there... Uh, president when there's a baby formula shortage and dear lord there is nothing these people won't cover to not cover this well there is a former leader a former head of the fda former deputy commissioner frankie Yannis, y-i-a-n-n-a-s i believe i'm pronouncing it uh properly former deputy commissioner for food and policy response And his statement was, the nation remains one outbreak, one tornado, flood, or cyber attack away from finding itself in a similar place to that of February 17th, 2002. 2002? I'm pretty sure it's a misprint and they mean 2022. And the conversation of, hey, there's no baby formula on the shelves. Now, it's one thing to say you're an outbreak 
or a cyber attack away from finding yourself in a similar place. You're a tornado or a flood away. We still have in place this miraculously ridiculous system where we only allow certain people to create baby formula and then we have this system by which we engage distribution across the states. What's wrong with us? Why are we still doing this? When Abbott closed down the plant in Michigan, cleaning up uh, Listeria, I believe it was, if I remember correctly, you reduced the formula supply everywhere and you left parents in the lurch. You're telling me we haven't changed the system to allow more people, more companies to create baby formula? You mean we've been through this and we still haven't done anything about it? What kind of crazy people are we? This, if you argue that TikTok is a national security issue, which I do, not being able to feed children is a national security issue. I'm just saying, if we're going to rank these things, not feeding kids is nuts. Especially with a country like ours that, of course, can do this. Now, I've made the argument, check with your doctor, be like, hey, is this a good formula to make for my kid? I can't buy it, so I'm going to go make it. And then go make it. I mean, go go make the formula. Feed your children. Don't listen to these people. You shouldn't make your homemade formula. Check with your doctor. And then, my God, feed your kid. We haven't fixed this yet. It's just like the border conversation. When do we get serious about ensuring that we are okay? And how could media drop a subject like this? Why don't they care? This is just one of many things to get to. Keep it here, guys. This is Tony Katz today. You've got a tournament, you've got the Pacers, and then you've got Jim Ursay, whether he's aware of it or not, dropping truth bombs in a way that make you wonder what the heck is happening with the Indianapolis Colts and who will actually be their quarterback. Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us right now from 93.5-1075 The Fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, and according to sources, he is the second most popular person ever to graduate Eastern Green High School. Congratulations to you. Well, that's big time, you know what I mean? And uh, shout out to Dusty May for taking me off uh, of that list, and I'm proud to go off that list, or at least go down a uh, rung on the ladder of that particular list right there. I'm proud to watch him do that work, Tony Katz, in this NCAA tournament to get that spot at Eastern Green High School. From Eastern Green to IU to being the coach at uh, at Florida Atlantic, they're in this Final Four. They will take on San Diego State. Uh, you then got UConn against Miami. Uh, anything for you changing in this Final Four, watching things over the last couple days, maybe hearing about injury reports or anything like that? Uh, you got your championship matchup from these four? Yeah, I, th- I think actually Florida Atlantic, and this is, you know, obviously, Rooting interest aside here, I think they have a really good chance to get to that championship game. I think the problem is going to be this. You have a legitimate favorite among these four teams, and that is UConn. And you're going to see that in that second game, that nightcap on Saturday night when they take home Miami of Florida. Now, we'll see what Miami of Florida can give to them because they have been outstanding in this tournament so far. But we talked about this early in the week. I just think UConn's a little bit different from these other teams that we see because they can go big and thrive. They can go small and be guard oriented and thrive. They can do really 
Um, everything that maybe some of these other teams won't be able to do, they have shooting. And here's the thing. Danny Hurley is their head coach, and last year he realized this. He said, you know what, we need some shooting here to go with our big guy in Sonogo. And they have added shooting all around. They are athletic. They can run. They can play in the half court. And that will mess some of these teams up. Now, we'll say this about Dusty's team. They can get up and down the floor, and certainly they can play. And they have a big man in Golden, a seven-footer. But it just seems like UConn, Tony, can come at you in waves. And if I were going to install a favorite going in easily on Saturday and then to make it to Monday, it's going to be the UConn Huskies. You know, it's it's fascinating because I think you're right. As you take a look at it, just take a look at just the, the numbers and the play. UConn has just been outstanding and dominant. And as a four seed, maybe an argument for they they were they were ranked down a little too much. But going up against Miami, it's it's a question of who's had a harder run through this tournament. Miami had to get through IU. Miami had to get through Houston. Miami had to get through Texas. That's that is crazy, crazy stuff. The biggest thing that UConn had to get through was Gonzaga, and they yeah. dispatched of Gonzaga by nearly 30 points. They dispatched of Arkansas, uh, upsetting uh, uh, morning show producer Jonathan, by more than 20. But there's an argument for Miami in this. That said, I think that if you end up with uh, Florida Atlantic and UConn, you've got the best ratings grabber for the rest of the country, but my gosh, i got to assume the NCAA wants that Miami market really paying attention. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of funny because they Coral Gables and Boca Raton. Uh, it's about 45 minutes on a good day of traffic, which you never have in South Florida, but that's kind of the link between uh, both of those schools. And, Tony, what you bring up is an interesting point here, and you're absolutely right, um, in terms of UConn being on cruise control. Uh, for lack of a better description right here on cruise control, whereas these other teams that we see in the Final Four have had these signature moments of, all right, so this could go either way, and here it is for you. You take it and you run with it. They've been in those moments. You know, you go back to FAU with Memphis. That was a signature moment for them. I mean, Miami's had a couple. They were down 13 in the second half uh, the other day to advance to the Final Four. That was their signature moment. And then when you look at San Diego State, you know, kind of a do-or-die situation they had ultimately with Creighton that they got over on. And and UConn has kind of been on that cruise control type of thing, playing, you know, at a high level. So they haven't had one of those situations yet. So I agree with you. Sometimes you need to go through that to to experience it, to get to that ultimate level. And we'll see if that plays a significant role coming up on Saturday. And uh, certainly if UConn ends up getting on Monday night to that national championship game. Talking to JMV from 93.5-1075, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's move it over to the pro side. Look at the Pacers, and, and let me just share this uh, with you. Uh, the days of winning more than two in a row, well, that's long gone. Just in the last six, lost to the Sixers, lost to the Hornets, yeah. a win against the Raptors, which will argue fluke, lost to the Celtics, lost to the Hawks, lost to the Mavericks by 23. What was that, last night? Was that just last night? It was a night, night before last. Night was, before. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is what we call in the business not a good team. When you <laughs> thought is. maybe they would just yeah. at least be exciting, uh, that has uh, lessened. Uh, they are not last in, in, in the Central, but they just don't want to, you know, give Detroit a run for their money. Um What's next for these people? Finish up the season, everybody goes into hiding, and how do they rebuild? Um, no, 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 you're right. I mean, that is what, that's what they're doing right now. They're kind of mopping up the season here. 
and and they have and you've been out in front of this on your show with us together here there have been moments spotty moments in which you can go oh wow you know this team is really good this team can, can really compete and then you know we would they'd give us reasons to understand why they weren't significant enough to make a legitimate run or to get into the postseason, and we've seen that recently. Miles Turner didn't play. Tyrese Halliburton didn't play because of injury situations against Dallas the other night. Uh, so we all kind of knew how that was going to end. And, yeah, essentially, Tony, they're mopping up the end of the season, and we'll see what happens as far as the NBA draft lottery is concerned. We'll also watch this. We'll see what happens in terms of players wanting to come and play here now Comparatively speaking, nobody really has ever. I'm talking about free agents, something like that. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is the centerpiece that's not going anywhere. A lot of guys would like to play with Tyrese Halliburton. We'll see what Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan can do to add those pieces. They certainly need a lengthy wing that can play a little defense and can shoot it as well. But we're watching this team evolve into a team in a couple of years, maybe even as quickly as next year. We're going to be talking about them in a different light. We're going to be talking about them challenging in this playoff hunt, being more significant than they are right now. They're mopping up the season and preparing for offseason. That's going to be really important, again, for the evolution of this franchise, Tony. Is there any question that Rick Carlisle's returning? Oh, none. None whatsoever. He's going to guide this ship for the foreseeable future. And I think, Tony, honestly, I think most people out there, if you're a Pacer fan, you're pretty happy with all how all this has gone down. And remember, he came all of me and said, you know, the season could have a bumpy ride. And in December, they gave a lot of people a thrill. Um, unfortunately, this team has now just kind of become what we thought they were going to be at the start of the season. But they sent out a warning flare to everybody about how this could be and about how they're building. And that's exactly what has taken place. Let's move it over to the Colts. The owners meeting taking place. And the conversation about Lamar Jackson, quarterback for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson coming out, saying he's requested a trade from the Ravens, going back earlier in uh, to March. He wants the contract that's fully guaranteed. He acts as his own agent. Look, I'm my own agent. It's not always the best thing in the world to do. Um, you now have a situation where we're being told by the, the voices that be that the Colts are actually taking a look, that the Colts are a place where Lamar Jackson could end up. You're not a believer. You think it's going to end up as Will Levis with that fourth yeah. pick in the draft, no trading up, and done. Jim Ursay jumps in and says, as an owner, I do not believe in fully guaranteed contracts. I think that a percentage is one thing, but from what I've seen from the NBA and baseball, I don't see it as a positive competitively. Uh, there are two things here. First, that puts an end to Lamar Jackson coming to the Colts. And number two, holy crap, he said the words. Now you've got other owners that can be like, yeah, what Jim said. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, I mean, it, all shot, it started with Deshaun Watson and Cleveland, Tony, a year ago. Because, you know, the owners across the NFL didn't like what Cleveland did to bring in Deshaun Watson. And, I, I listen, this didn't surprise me whatsoever. And even beyond this particular point, it's what you would have to do to even think about trying to get Lamar Jackson. You'd have to dump, have a salary cap dump, get rid of significant players before you even knew that he was going to be on your team, Tony, because Baltimore can always match. And this is something you and I have talked about in recent days. He's going to end up back in Baltimore where we all thought he was going to be at the beginning and the Colts are going to draft a rookie quarterback. And it's not sexy. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson is a great Great sports talk radio fodder, 
but it just has never really been realistic. They're going to tell you they're going to look and they're going to vet these situations because they have to. If they don't, we're going to rip on them. But at the end of it all, this was never really going to be a logical play for them. That's why I've stayed away from it. And they're going to draft somebody, and we're going to see if that somebody is going to be Will Levis, as I've talked about since October around here. About a month to go to find out, but they're going to go rookie. JMV, 93.5-1075, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana, and the second most notable alumnus. <laughs> My brother, appreciate you as always. You know that. JMV, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to be Lamar Jackson. and it's that, it's that whole clearing of the cap space. How much room you have to make for the guy. And yes, I would argue that he's looking for too much. And I would argue that this idea of, uh, you know, fully guaranteed is just, it doesn't play. He's made it impossible by himself, but he's certainly willing to take the risk. I appreciate that. I mean, the, the structure of these contracts is, is so crazy. There was a story out that, is it Ken Griffey Jr.? Ken Griffey Jr., who hasn't played in over a decade, is still getting paid by the Cincinnati Reds. He is still getting paid. He's among the highest paid players in the Reds organization. He hasn't played in over a decade. It's because he took a a, um, delay, right, deferred payments... It was a nine-year, $112 million deal. He would get deferred payments from 2009 to 2024. So he's going to earn more than $3.5 million this year. He's the fourth highest person, uh, paid person on the payroll. I mean, it's just, it's just surreal. It's crazy. You got Bobby Bonilla from the Mets. Remember Bobby Bonilla? Uh, he will receive a $1.19 million paycheck until 2035. I mean, that's kind of incredible. Incredible. Me, I got into radio. Oh, I'm such a schmuck. I got into radio like a dope. Lamar Jackson is is asking for money that just nobody's willing to put themselves on the line for. That seems obvious. Now, it's possible that you'll find a team out there desperate enough, and when that happens, you'll be setting a standard. And I think that's why owners are so focused on this. And I was, while I was surprised to hear an owner speak out about it, I'm not surprised that the owner who did was Jim Irsay. I'm not surprised he did it the way he did because everybody who knows Jim Irsay knows the Colts know that, well, Jim Irsay will say anything. The guy will say anything. It's kind of unbelievable. The man is Trump-esque when it comes to the no filter. And saying the words, uh, yeah, I got a problem with fully guaranteed. And, and you take a look at the NBA and what's happening. It's, it's, not a, it's not a value proposition that works for us. And I think that's the story. It's not a value proposition that is going to work. It is not going to be seen as worthwhile by NFL ownership. And if it's not worthwhile by them, uh, you know, winning is one thing, but the money is also one thing. They can't make the two things jive. They can't make them come together. I'm curious to see what Lamar Jackson does next. I'm curious to see how it plays out. The whole world of these contracts, absolutely fascinating stuff. 
I would assume that the NFL season will start and Lamar Jackson is not on a team. That's my take. Certainly not playing. That's my take. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So, yeah, I've been on a tear about stories that others are forgetting to talk about or get pushed to the back burner. Also, in a weird, weird note, I've noticed that I begin a lot of my sentences lately with so. And I don't know when I started doing that, but the other day I became fully aware of it, and now I'm really fully aware of it, and it's completely bothering me. So if you hear me start something with so, send me a tweet at Tony Katz and be like, so... Right? It's like Letterkenny. To be fair, to be fair, to be fair. Just so, dot, dot, dot. That's all you have to do. I don't know why I'm doing that. That is totally weird. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at tonykatz.locals.com. Greatly appreciate you being there, being a part of what we're building. I'm not saying I can't use the word so in conversation. It's like when I start, like when I start a, you know, we, we come back from commercial and I go, so... All right, so this is, uh, since when do I start doing that? Wait, have I always done that? That's not like one of my buzzwords usually, so I don't know when it happened. Like there, I just used so, that was some perfect context. It's just when I start, so if I start, uh, stop. There are stories that don't see the light of day. Stories that get buried, and they're extremely important. And I get why we're talking about Nashville, and we're talking about guns, and we're talking about... Uh, the conversation of mental illness and conversation of uh, uh, gender dysphoria and this this woman who thought she was a man murdering six, including three children. And then people want to say, well, it's because she wasn't treated well by her parents who didn't accept her. Doesn't mean you get to go around killing people. You look at this maneuvering of taking this murderer. She's the victim. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not here. She isn't. She's the murderer. And I get that people are talking about this. There's a reason for people to be talking about this. But there are stories that get pushed to the rear, pushed to the side. And the reason that happens in terms of mainstream media is because they don't well fit narrative. They don't help the cause. But these stories are still extremely important. We talked about baby formula earlier. The border is one of those stories. The border is a big one of those stories, and and yes, why would you talk about the border right now when you know guns and gender dysphoria and murder? But I don't want to repeat myself too much. What I wanted to get into was the fact that while this is a massive conversation, this isn't the only conversation that's out there. I forget if I said hello. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. The border is in crisis. The border is in crisis. And every single day that we aren't addressing the problem at the border, we are losing. We are getting destroyed. Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Homeland Security Secretary, in front of the Senate panel the other day, getting an earful from Ted Cruz. Actually, quite misleading. How many migrants died in 2022? Um, uh, at our, uh, approaching our southern border? Yes. 
precisely why we are seeking to exclude so you're, the can, Do you know the answer? Do you know how many died? I do not. You do not. Of course you don't. I know how many died. 853. That is 853. True. And by the way, here are the numbers that have died every year. You go back to 1998, you see it's consistently between 300 and 400, 300 and 400, 400. Suddenly, 2021, what happens? You get in office, and that red line are dead bodies. I've been on the Rio Grande, and I've seen dead bodies floating there who've drowned because of your refusal to do your job. You don't even know how many have died. What do you say to the Texas farmers and ranchers who find pregnant ladies dead on their property, who find toddlers dead on their property? What do you say to them? I say that is why precisely we are taking it to the smuggling organization. But you are not. Number, that is simply not true. Number two, it is but, why let, we let, are let, let, let me read from the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal two weeks ago ran an article entitled, It's like gra- a graveyard. Record numbers of migrants are dying at the border. The story begins with this chilling line, quote, Eagle Pass, Texas. Local officials keep a refrigerated truck to hold the bodies of migrants who drown in the currents of the Rio Grande while trying to cross the border into the U.S. Mr. Chairman, I ask unanimous consent that this article be entered into the record. And into the record it went. And man, I mean, this was not the only contentious moment that Cruz had with Mayorkas. Of course, there's an issue at the border. It's just a question of why people like Alejandro Mayorkas refuse to say so. Is there a crisis at our southern border? Senator, uh, there is a very significant... That's a yes or no question. There's a very significant... Is there a crisis? Senator, there's a very significant challenge... I think your microphone is not on. There is a very significant challenge that we are facing. Yes or no, the is there border. a crisis? I believe I've addressed that question. So you're Senator. refusing to answer? Senator, uh, there is a very significant challenge. and Will we you are answer if there's a crisis? Therefore, we are dedicating the resources. Okay, so you're refusing we- to answer. Well, Secretary Mayorkas, I'll tell you someone who is willing to answer, which is your and President Biden's chief of the Border Patrol, in a sworn deposition in July of 2022, when asked, Would you agree, Chief Ortiz, that the southern border is currently in crisis? Answer, yes. Notice none of those wiggle words, none of that equivocation. One word, one syllable, yes. Are you willing to speak with the same clarity as Chief Ortiz? Is there a crisis at our southern border, yes or no? Senator, I'm very proud to work alongside. But you refuse to answer. Yeah. There's a crisis at our border, and everything else isn't an acceptable answer. If you want to argue there's a very big challenge at the border, you're more than welcome to do that, but it's about avoiding the conversation completely. There is a crisis at the border. Anybody who says otherwise is lying. Now, there was a conversation that took place with Elise Stefanik. Elise Stefanik is the congresswoman from New York. And she was speaking regarding the northern border. And rarely do we talk about the northern border. Representative Stefanik was noting that there are issues in what's known as the Swanton sector. The Swanton sector 
Swanton, Vermont, bordering Canada, is seeing massive increases in people coming over the border. 367 apprehensions and encounters during January 2023. To put that in perspective, if you were to take all of the border apprehensions and encounters in the month of January, it's cold, by the way, in the month of January for the past 12 years, from 2011 to 2022, 2010 to 2022, 12 years, all of them combined don't equal the number we saw in 2023. That's how large the number is. The 367 is more than the prior 12 years combined. That's stunning because you don't think about people coming through Canada. Congresswoman Stefanik is asking these questions in her uh, panel hearings. Dr. Dawson, have you been to the Swanton sector of the northern border? Yes, quite often. Have you? T- where have you been? Um, I was a resident of, of Ottawa, so Ontario. So I was up and down the upstate New York and New England area very frequently, especially along the lakes. Have you spoken with Border Patrol officers in upstate New York or the North Country? I have not spoken to Border Patrol officers recently from that area, no. Well, I will tell you, I speak to Border Patrol officers all the time in my district. I represent 700,000 uh, hardworking Americans that live in my district, and it is an abject disaster what is happening at our southern border and the impact it's having on our northern border. Dr. Dawson, are you aware that encounters at the northern border have surged up to 846% in the Swanton sector that you are so familiar with? I think during my testimony earlier, I uh, indicated that... Are you aware of 846%? That is not a number that uh, I'm... So you disagree with that number put out by the U.S. government? I don't have the information to agree or disagree. Now, the Swanton sector, as I discussed, is in Vermont. Elise Stefanik uh, represents uh, parts of New York State, and of course, Vermont borders up to New York State at that level. We forget exactly how much border we have to protect and certainly with this witness that Elise Stefanik had, she's playing a little bit of cat with a mouse and setting her up for the beating that she took. Stefanik then changes gears and speaks to somebody about whether or not we have operational control at the northern or southern border. Okay, well, that is the number. Mr. Judd, because you are familiar with, North, with Northern Border Patrol officers, because I know you speak to them regularly, as I do in my district, I want to get your input. Do we have operational control over the northern border? No, we don't. In fact, what, what happens is we conflate the issue. We conflate but, uh, the ports of entry, and between the ports of entry, we have to subtract out the two. In fact, that's the reason why we have two different agencies that work. You have the, the port of entry, which is the, the Office of Field Operations, and then you have between the the ports of entry, uh, which is the Border Patrol. We have to 
take those two issues apart from each other and look at them individually. And Mr. Judd, walk me through. I'm very familiar hearing from my constituents about the crisis on the southern border, how that has impacted the morale of Border Patrol officers up north who have been transferred over and over again to the southern border with no notice deployments. Number one, the morale impact. And number two, the fact that we do not have the personnel we need operationally along the northern border, specifically the Swanton sector. A little over 25 years, I've never seen the morale lower in the Border Patrol than what it is today. Um, make no mistake, we will continue to put on the uniform. We will continue to go out and do the job that we're, we're supposed to do. We just won't be happy about the job that we're, that, that we're doing because we know that we do not have the support of this administration to actually protect the American people. I believe that true, that the administration is not in any way backing up Border Patrol. By the way, Mr. Judd is Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Patrol Council. I believe that to be true. But it's this part of the conversation that I think for a lot of people, they're like, well, I never really thought about it like that. And then when you look at how we have taken away from the northern border to support the southwest border, it always it all starts on the south southwest border. If we can control the southwest border, then we won't have to touch the northern border agents. But because we don't have the policy that's necessary to secure the southwest border, then the northern border gets gets robbed. And then it opens up the gaps that we're currently seeing. That is a perspective that requires our conversation. Well, everyone is going to talk about Nashville and this shooting, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't. Although kids get killed in Chicago all the time, no one says a word. That is not me being dismissive of three children being murdered in Nashville by a murderer who was being treated for emotional disorders and nobody knew it. Nobody knew there were seven guns in the house. The more about it, you hear about the story, the more you scream. And then, as I said, this manifesto that nobody wants to share. Because they're afraid of what it'll do to narrative. The more you don't take care of the southwest border, the more issues you have on the northern border, the more issues we have for all Americans, the more kids who might get killed. Whether that be by gang activity, whether that be by fentanyl, whether that be by the coyotes bringing kids and adults through through South America, I, I should say through Central America, through Mexico, raping, pillaging You're not going to see people coming to the northern border in the same way? Well, Tony, they're Canadians and they're super polite. We're seeing Chinese nationals come through the southern border. You don't think we'll see the same? You don't think we'll see the same? You don't think there are people who fly into Canada and then make their way to the northern border of the United States and cross right over? Are we kidding ourselves? Do we, how many people actually live in this level of fantasy land? This is a massive problem. A massive problem that we refuse to fix. This should be anger on a bipartisan level at the bipartisan Congress. No Republican, no Democrat should be able to escape any day of the week without hearing from their constituents about what they're doing about the border because we're all border states. That's what we are. We all deal with this problem. That's what we do. And if you're somebody who believes in open borders, you're the enemy. Now, that's a very rough thing to say. So let me make sure I say it slowly. If you believe in open borders, you 
are the enemy. Well, the enemy of what, Tony? The enemy of the United States of America? Well, I guess you could throw that in there. But I would argue you're the enemy of free and thinking people. You're the enemy of decency. You're the enemy of humanity. You're certainly okay with kids being killed, never mind raped. I said it and I meant it because open borders lead to these things. Or maybe, maybe said even better, a border like we have it, it's not really open, but it sure as hell ain't closed, makes all the money in the world for the smugglers. And if you're going to be in the business of making the business possible for the smugglers, well, dear Lord, you're the enemy. You're the problem. I say you. I mean they. I think you know that, though. Yeah, I'm not going to take my eye off the border. I'm not going to stop talking about it. And while everybody goes about chasing the latest story, and I'm not arguing that it isn't horrible, I'm not arguing that it isn't worth our time, we got to it today. I'm not going to avoid these things that are killing us. Just that when they kill us slowly, they get less news coverage. To hell with that. I'm Tony Katz. If you follow me on the Twitter box, if you follow me at locals, TonyCats.locals.com, you can uh, follow along as I'm working to help Indiana, the state of Indiana, cap cigar taxes at 50 cents. Right now, taxes are 24% on a premium cigar. And what we'd like to see is a cap of 50 cents regardless of the percentage. And Michigan has done this. Minnesota has done this. What they've seen is more revenue for the state, and it helps small business thrive and grow and keep more of their dollars there. They can hire more people. They can do more investing. They can have more stock, more advertising, all these kinds of things. So if you follow me on Twitter at Tony Katz, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, or TonyKatz.Locals.com, you can get the QR code where you can uh, sign the petition and then help Indiana do this and help small business and help growth and keep prices down. These are wins all the way across the board. TonyCats.Locals.com. TonyCats.Locals.com. At Tony Katz on the Twitter box. Tomorrow, everyone, you be good. Take care.